0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Hello, I'm Kerry Phillips, and this is Rear Vision.
2: The Labor leader today announced that Labor would build a $4.7 billion broadband network up to 40 times faster than current
3: speeds. Nation building in the 19th century was about building a new national railway network for Australia. Nation building for the 21st century lies in building a new national broadband network. It's part of our pathway to the future.
1: Former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd promising to build a national broadband network in March 2007. Later that year, he won the election against the Liberal Prime Minister John Howard. But as we'll hear in this rear vision, what could have been a piece of landmark infrastructure became a political hot potato, leaving us with an expensive, compromised system that's in need of an upgrade even before it's finished. This is the story of the NBN, never more significant than now as we all attempt to work and entertain ourselves within the confines of our homes. When the idea of a broadband network was floated, many of us were using ADSL, a system that effectively split our phone line in two, allowing internet and phone calls on the same line. Peter Marks is the former technology commentator on RN Breakfast.
0: There was an early high-speed network rollout in the 1990s. Optus and Telstra rolled out cable networks, and it was primarily for TV, but it was also capable of high-speed internet, these two competing commercial networks strung cables below power lines, pretty much in the same streets in well-off suburbs in Sydney and Melbourne. But when the most lucrative areas were done, they both stopped. So the commercial approach had kind of failed at that point. The first government proposal for an NBN came in 2006, when then opposition leader Kim Beasley said that if elected, a Labor government would work with business to create a quote, super fast national broadband network. Now, at the time, internet was mostly provided by Telstra copper, by Telstra and other ISPs, who had to deal with Telstra to get access. Putting aside those of us who were lucky enough to have the cable, the most common technology was ADSL over copper. that went up to about 24 kilobits per second.
2: At the time, most of the people on the internet had ADSL. Still,
1: Stilgerian is a journalist who covers technology.
2: In its very first version, which was still over normal phone lines, many people were still on dial-up. It's worth remembering that uh, the commercial internet only came into existence in Australia and, in fact, most countries in the mid-1990s, and dial-up only started to reach its maximum speeds in the few years following that. Communications ministers had been pushing the idea of improving the infrastructure for years. Successive ministers on both sides of politics had been in discussions with the telecommunications providers, but nothing ever really seemed to come together. Indeed, there's many people who would say that Australia has mismanaged its telecommunications policy since the 80s, when the internet first started coming through. Australia actually had the third fastest internet in the world after the United States and Finland. And through the 80s and 90s, as everyone else moved ahead, we dropped first out of the top 10, then out of the top 20, now out of the top 50. And as those discussions continued, the telcos themselves and Telstra in particular, because they owned the copper network. Well, they thought, well, if, if all this is going to be replaced or upgraded or something done with it, we won't bother doing major repairs because you know it, it's not going to last that long. So over the years, the copper network just slowly fell apart. A lot of the copper network was ancient anyway. We've got to remember that the copper network was built Over the course of a century or more, and even to this day in many places, uh, places such as the inner west of Sydney, only a few kilometres from the CBD, some of that copper in the ground dates back to the 1920s. Its insulation has either fallen apart or been eaten through by rats. And if the governments had asked technicians what condition it was in, they would have said, look, it's, it's falling apart.
1: Nonetheless, Labor's initial idea for the broadband network involved using Telstra's copper wire.
2: They were planning to spend originally $4.7 billion, which seems an incredibly small amount of money now, on a network that would deliver a minimum of 12 megabits per second to 98% of Australians. Now, that was going to be a fibre the node network, and oddly enough, that's pretty much what much of the NBN is made of now.
1: Although it's impossible to overlook the importance of speed, the main purpose of the Rudd government's proposed broadband network was something else. Seamus Byrne is a tech journalist and broadcaster.
3: I think the biggest part of that original Concept for the MBN was to try to equalize the playing field for Australians all around the country to be able to get a good internet experience. Because certainly at that time, there was a big difference between the cities and the country being able to get any kind of broadband connection. We definitely saw, sort of, in regional areas that that sort of older technology just couldn't do the job of reaching out past anything that was very, very close to your local exchange. So that was the key ambition, was to equalise the playing field between the country and the city and give everybody a better internet experience.
1: Once in office, the Rudd government set about inviting tenders. At that point, internet service providers other than Telstra were both competing with Telstra and paying Telstra to use its infrastructure. In addition... Telstra, which had been a public utility, was now Australia's biggest telecommunications company, having been largely sold off during the Howard years. It was a commercial business with obligations to shareholders. Probably the first
3: really big milestone was when they put out the request for proposals to build the MBN. They were offering Telstra and other companies the chance to sort of step in and be given the contract to build out that network. But over the course of that first year, they actually didn't get any what they called compliant proposals. They really didn't see any company stepping forward to say that they could do it. And there was a big clash with the leadership of Telstra at that time. Sol Trujillo was the executive at the time and a very big clash there with Telstra essentially refusing to put in a compliant proposal. I think there was a lot of that sense from the Telstra side of the equation that they were the incumbent company. Why should they have to then participate in this idea of being forced to build a new network because that first idea was based on copper technology i think telstra sort of really had a position that well they own the copper and so that was that conflict of who really owns that national network and you know for the telstra executives they were well it's ours because you've sold it and it belongs to us. And the government's position being, well, this is still very much a national utility and needs to be upgraded in, in appropriate ways for the future. So there was a really big clash there as to who was going to take control. And so when that announcement was made to say, well, we're going to build a whole optical network and completely... A sidestep what currently exists, that was a really big gauntlet throne to say well Telstra you might now be left in the dust if this is the path that we take. If we had always owned Telstra as a nation all the way through then essentially Telstra would have become the MBN because it could have been mandated to to build out a more future focused network
1: bigger than the Snowy Mountains scheme and faster than the proverbial speeding bullet. The national broadband project finally looks like coming online after the Federal Government announced plans to scrap tenders and do the job itself.
3: I announced today the single largest
0: infrastructure decision in Australia's history. The network will take eight years to build. The cost has leapt from $10 billion to $43 billion, promised speeds from 12 to up to 100 megabits per second.
1: In 2009, Kevin Rudd announced that the government would build a national broadband network without Telstra. Gone was the idea of fibre to the node, using Telstra's copper to get into our homes. It would be fibre to the premises. A new government-owned corporation would design, build and operate the network as a monopoly wholesale broadband provider. Private retail companies, internet service providers, would sell the service on to customers.
2: And that's where we went from the original Labour proposals for around 4.7 billion and then 15 billion to the 50 billion range of figures, which of course meant that the coalition side ridiculed that amount of money. But Labour tried to sell that on the basis of it being a massive nation building thing that we built. The railways they talked about as a huge investment, which then lasted forever and could be upgraded for decades. They pointed to the original copper telephone system, which which again grew in capacity and capability over the course of a century or even more. And this was going to be the big build for the future. If you build fiber optics, and they have a certain speed at this stage, you can upgrade the speed continuously without replacing that optical fiber that's that's in the ground the optical fiber is is really just a thin strand of glass and you communicate by putting a laser at each end and shining it down and making it pulse you can literally just put more lasers at different frequencies and and pulse them faster to upgrade the network speed
3: With that decision to go to a full optical fiber network and the decision to create an entirely new company that the government was going to form itself, that's when the, yeah, the estimate jumped to $43 billion. And the idea at the time was, you know, that the government was going to fund around $30 billion and then find private investors to participate in the rest. And even the idea that further on that timeline that there would be an end date where the network would be sold and that was certainly a big point of tension in that era as well where they decided that they were going to put the whole development project off the books in a sense not in the core of the budget this was considered to be a different kind of investment and so it was able to be pushed off to the side but then Of course, those costs became such a key issue for the opposition as well in terms of what it was going to end up costing that that bit of, I guess, political gymnastics didn't really work out in the end when it came to trying to say that that these costs weren't real costs to the government. And by building out this company in a particular way, they really sort of were positioning it to be something that was a lot more political than just a utility offering so a very ambitious project but it was always interesting that when MBN Co was formed that it was actually built very much like a public-facing company. You know, it had very large marketing teams, very large administration teams, all of these features that you would expect, much like in Telstra. But this was a company that was only ever meant to serve other businesses, to be the backbone of Australia's internet. And so through that process, it was also always trying to work out how it would be profitable in the end To help keep that focus on making sure that it wasn't going to be a cost that it was going to be something that would be profitable in the long run
1: you're listening to rear vision with kerry phillips on radio national rn as many of us adjust to living and working from home connected with our jobs friends and family by the internet We're hearing the story of Australia's National Broadband Network, the infrastructure that we're nearly all using through our internet service provider. Although the Labor government had decided in 2009 to go ahead with fibre to the premises, avoiding the need for Telstra's copper connections, it still had to deal with Telstra, which owned the ducts, pipes and connections needed for the new cables and was going to lose all its customers to the NBN. An agreement was signed in 2011 to pay Telstra $9 billion. By then, the rollout of the NBN was underway.
2: 2010 was when the first customers started going on the NBN. Now, like any engineering project, the start is slow. And in this case, because they were building a new design, there were test locations, and that was used to debug the process. Obviously, the first few times you try something, you you learn from some mistakes. And so we were always going to see the NBN have a slowish start before it ramped up and, and started connecting more and more people more and more quickly. What we did see in 2010, though, was a lot of real-world impact hitting the project. For a start, they had expected an easy negotiation with Telstra about the terms of taking over the copper network. They agreed that Telstra was going to lose customers at that level, at the wholesale level, each time an NBN connection took over from a Telstra copper connection. So there was going to be a one-off payment to Telstra every time that happened. The other payment to Telstra was rental on the pits and ducts, that is, those, those concrete little pits where all of the cables are maintained and the, the underground ducts that connect all them, because Telstra owns them. They, they effectively lease them from local governments or from wherever they're, they're run. So Telstra would still own them and NBN would pay rent. Now, subsequently, the NBN has bought all them, but at the time it was going to be a rent arrangement. Negotiating that contract with Telstra took something like 11 months, far longer than Stephen Conroy had imagined. So that delayed the start. Then once it started rolling out, they had to deal with all of the local governments around Australia who turned out to be as complicated to deal with as local governments generally are. They hadn't thought about that. They also hadn't thought about apartment buildings, blocks of flats, which uh, in the jargon are MDUs, multi-dwelling units. They had assumed that they would just connect them up somehow. We'll work that out later. The problem is strata companies are appallingly slow to make a decision, and many of them said, no, you can't change anything here, no, you can't dig trenches, and the rules for that, and interacting with local government and planning and so on, is something that took years to solve. So all those factors started pushing up the price, slowing down the project, and it became an enormously easy target for the coalition to complain about.
0: We believe in a national broadband network and we will deliver a better national broadband network faster and more affordably than this government possibly can. Under the coalition, uh, by 2016, that's to say at the end uh, of the first term of an incoming coalition government, there will be minimum download speeds of 25 megabits uh, and up
2: to uh, 100.
1: Tony Abbott launching the coalition's broadband policy during the election campaign of 2013. The coalition won office and Abbott appointed Malcolm Turnbull his communications minister. In
0: 2013, in the lead-up to the election, the Liberal opposition announced that to save money, which is their main interest, they were going to roll it out faster and they were going to go with a multi-technology mix, MTN, and rather than doing fibre to the premises, which really involved digging up the streets outside everyone's houses. They would have fibre to the node, and then they would use either copper or the existing cable that was there in the street. So it was going to be a mixed technology. There was a press conference that year, quite a memorable press conference with Tony Abbott and Malcolm Turnbull. Turnbull was the Minister for Communications, and uh, it became clear to all that Mr Abbott really didn't understand the technology and just saw it as something that really should be opposed as as a non-free market kind of enterprise. You can see Taney sort of talking about it all, and Turnbull's face, it looks like his soul is leaving his body. However, Turnbull was very positive. I think Malcolm Turnbull obviously does understand this. He's been involved in ISPs, and he said at the time, quote, "...our modern lives are absolutely unimaginable without access to broadband technology." He's spinning it saying that, oh, well, you know, all technologies have a lifespan and uh, copper has a lifespan, but there's still some life left in the old copper network. And he talks about, you know, VDSL and some of the technologies that we're getting amazing speeds on top of copper and kind of hoping that that will project forward. But the fact of the matter is that the copper network, you know, it gets water and it it gets all sorts of problems. Fibre is such a great technology. It can be upgraded into the future. It's not susceptible to things like interference from cables next to it. And you can even have fibre in the road filled with water, you know, with water in the pit, and it won't hurt it at all. So, you know, it's a great technology and it has such a long future in it. In the long term, it's cheaper to take the pain earlier and just do it in one go.
1: But that isn't what happened.
0: After that 2013 election victory, uh, very, very quickly, that
3: original plan for the NBN slowed down. I remember even reporting at the time on places like Mudgee out in the country where they had the trucks driving around town getting ready to roll out the fibre network. And then those trucks just disappeared overnight. And a lot of the planning that had been done you know, in, in different towns, expecting and hoping that this was the network they were going to get, that changed very quickly. And of course, that act of redesigning also meant that there was a big slowdown again because the plan that was in place and the plan that was being rolled out at that time had to be shut down and then a new design had to be put into place to renegotiate how it was all being put together. And that included negotiating with... Telstra in particular, to then get the use of the copper cables that at that time were being bypassed.
1: Much of the fibre was now going to end in nodes, boxes on the street, and the rest of the connection to people's homes would be made along Telstra's copper wire. In June of 2013, Telstra CEO David Thody famously assured journalists that the copper network could last another hundred years.
3: That's then Telstra sort of, I guess, in in a lot of respects, realized at that point, well, they really need us if they want to do this version of the technology. Because at that point, a deal had been struck to use the pits, to use the holes in the ground. But then this meant renegotiating to actually get access to the, the copper cables themselves. And actually through sort of that time and a big part of the slowdown at that point, really tied into the fact that, A lot of those cables were progressively found to not really be up to scratch, that a lot of those old copper cables really did need to be upgraded and updated in order to deliver higher speed fiber to the node systems. So once again, I guess that idea of we're going to do a new design and we're going to do something because it will be faster had its own set of roadblocks in that process of coming up with a whole new system once again.
1: The Abbott government renegotiated the deal with Telstra and ultimately $11 billion was paid by Australian taxpayers to Telstra and its shareholders.
3: A really important part of that sort of negotiation with Telstra, as well as the original one, was that a lot of the other internet service providers in the country were rightly worried that what all this money was going to do that's been given to Telstra was they referred to it as a war chest, that this was going to give Telstra lots of money to win the marketing war when it came to selling people NBN access. So a lot of rules were tried to be put into place to somehow limit exactly what Telstra could use those funds for. But, you know, it's a very hard thing to say that what they can, you know, they can use the money over there, but they're not allowed to use it over there. In the end, you know, as a company, they were still going to be running their own marketing campaigns to to win people over when it came time to switch to the NBN.
1: Now, what we've ended up with is something that a lot of people find a bit mysterious in terms of the way it works. There is an NBN But you don't actually deal directly with the NBN to Mm. get access to their network. You deal with a service provider.
3: Yeah, look, this is absolutely the most complex part of what we've ended up with, that the NBN is a company that puts advertisements on television. It shows us this face of the new internet that we can all enjoy, but it is a pure utility that is only there to service other internet service providers. And that has really created this confusion for people because if something breaks, you're not sure if it broke because maybe it's your router in your house, maybe it's your internet service provider, maybe it's the M B N. but you're only allowed to call your internet service provider and then they are the ones who call the M B N.
1: More well, than 6.2 million homes now have access to the National Broadband Network, but many who've signed up have been left wondering if it's worth it. They've been saddled with high costs and lower speeds than they expected.
3: Darren Haymes' internet cut out as soon as his connection to the NBN was activated. Over a six-week period, he had eight technicians come to his home who installed two new NBN boxes, six Telstra modems, two street connections, and a bunch of other cables inside and outside the home. The problem was only resolved when the Ombudsman arranged for Mr Haymes to switch back to his old cable service.
0: Since then, our service has been normal.
1: The rollout of the troubled national broadband network is expected to be completed this year at a cost of $51 billion. What have we got for our money?
3: It definitely hasn't lived up to that original promise of the equity of access for everybody around the country. Particularly with the the fibre-to-the-node technology, there really are sort of issues where within the same suburb, two different people can have very different experiences because of the length of the cable from their nearest box to where their house is on the street. And then we do have some people who have the wonderful optical cable systems. If there are new housing estates built, they are built with full fiber optics. And it does mean that I think as we move forward in time, we definitely have a situation where there are haves and have nots yet again, and house prices, things like that, will end up having differences based on which internet technologies people got. Now, the promise of the government has definitely been that it will be upgraded over time in future, but it really felt like the kind of situation where what we got in the end was a technology that was very well suited
0: to the last decade, but it's not all that well suited to the decade ahead. I think the mistake we've made here is by trying to turn it into a multi-commercial business when really digging up the streets and running cables into houses is something that I think should be done by government. They could have sold off the... Telstra customer service part of it so that they did, you know, commercial organisations which are good at customer service dealt with the consumers, but the infrastructure part, the cables, the the land network, the digging up of the streets, that should have remained in government hands and that would have been better done. It could have been done more cheaply and done more fairly i mean we do in australia support regional users we want to have people able to live outside the big sprawling cities and in order to do that we you know we subsidize them we provide postage at a flat rate we have laws about telecommunications so phone calls aren't charged at market rates and i think the same thing should have been done where we had a national broadband that was just the same as railways or roadways or water or power or gas or sewerage. All of these are networks, and we shouldn't try to to be free market political about it. We should just do the thing that's best for the country. If this coronavirus epidemic has shown us anything, we can work from home. We can work remotely. We can collaborate. But in order to do that, we need to have broadband that is fast, reliable, and will scale up into the future.
2: Other places in the world have a gigabit per second, a thousand megabits per second. Singapore, that's standard off the shelf. Bangkok, you see the same thing. South Korea has that. Japan has that. We've fallen way behind. We've got a second-rate network and an enormous part of it. That whole copper network is going to have to be replaced at some point. And no one is really suggesting how we go about that. One of the more depressing things, uh, from my point of view, is that after about 2013, the NBN was no longer, on either side of politics, about providing something for Australians to use. It was about beating the other side over the head with something. Complaints about Labor's slowness and cost overruns, or from the other side, well, the same thing again, that it wasn't rolling out fast enough and the speeds weren't being delivered. Stephen Conroy responded to that when he was minister essentially by shouting about how it had to be fibre, but not at that stage coming up with with any more solutions. And when Minister Malcolm Turnbull was challenged about delays and speed problems and reliability problems under his watch, it was all, well, Labor could never deliver this. And you never really quite heard what the coalition was going to do to fix the problems. So not only have we got a substandard network, we've got a long-running political argument with no sign of a fix anytime soon.
1: Tech journalist Stilgerian. The other guests were Peter Marks and Seamus Byrne, both technology commentators. Isabella Troppiano is the sound engineer for this rear vision. Thanks for listening. Bye from Kerry Phillips.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC
1: podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.